0: So hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the 180 podcast. You know, this is me, your awesome host Nick, and you know, my our, our other awesome co-host, Paul. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Doing really good. Yeah, so Paul, uh, you know, before we you know jump into the podcast, and you know, um, introduce everyone to our guests and everything, why don't you give a little bit context about why we're doing this podcast?
1: Yeah, so uh, for our new listeners, uh, this podcast is to share stories and ideas from everyday people, uh, especially pe- young people who are uh, just getting out, getting out of high school and uh, starting their life as an adult. Uh, we share a story with a lot of the alumni and current members of our volunteer group, um, where we help train and develop uh, young leaders. Yep, And we have Again. one today. <clears throat>
0: That's, that's right, that's right. We have one today. So everyone, um, you know, we've been fortunate to be able to invite one of our current executive team members, aside from my president, uh, on the podcast today. And you know he, sh- he will be sharing a little bit about his background, his career, as well as, you know, his interest in leadership, as well as how volunteering experience has been helping him. So everyone, please welcome Ash. Woo-hoo. Woo. So Ash, uh, for those who you know, have not ever heard about you or even know you, right? Uh, what do you introduce a bit about yourself?
2: Thank you, Nick and Paul for that intro. Yeah, hi everyone, my name is Ash. I grew up in Malaysia and Brunei, and I came here to Vancouver just over six, seven years ago now for university. I've always been interested in design, and that's why I picked mechanical engineering as my major. I graduated a couple of years ago. Now I work uh, at a company that uh, designs and manufactures plasma spray equipment. And my job specifically is to develop a new plasma spray torch. Super passionate about this job. Um, pretty captivated by physics, mathematics, and engineering, and I'm able to apply all these at work. So Checks all the boxes so far, no complaint. Then, as I, you know, as I was working a year into my job, I started realizing, okay, there are areas that I, I need to improve on. Okay, if I want to be more effective at work, I want to just be um, better at leadership. And and the reason wasn't too clear to me at the time, but I was looking for some opportunities to develop myself. And so at one. <laughs> One um, badminton group meetup, I met this guy called Henry, and um, I was just talking to him about what he does, and he you was know, asking what I did, and I was telling him the latest in my life, which is I'm looking for such opportunities, you know, to volunteer and uh, an opportunity to develop my leadership skills, and lo and behold, he told me about this crew, so that hit the jackpot. So I looked it up and. It seems like it was the right place, you know. So I reached out and, and joined. And over, over, the, over the few months that I've been in the crew, uh, it became more clear why I joined and why I want to stay. I think there, there were three reasons at some point. Uh, one is, yeah, you, you want to develop yourself. Uh, why you want to develop yourself is because you want to be more effective at contributing to society. So that is something that aligns with my life goals. And that's why I want to keep doing it. The second, also being in the crew, you can advocate for other people becoming better versions of themselves. And it's in their best interest to do that, too, because uh, they're better versions of themselves than better careers, better partners, better friends, you name it. But at the same time, they also become better at and more effective at contributing to society, which aligns with my goals. So whether they like it or not, it helps out. Um, so, yeah, these are the two big reasons why leadership. So, currently we're in a small company, but over time when we grow, we will hire more people to work on this plasma spring torch and make better mm-hmm. products with exponentially greater value. And to do that, you need a strong team. To have a strong cohesive team, you need a strong, mm-hmm. strong leader. And so, out of out of responsibility, I guess I would like to sharpen my leadership skills. Mm.
0: That reason. Yeah, thank you for such details. Actually, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I actually was kind of amazed, surprised. You know, because um, to, to, this is this is like the first time that I ever heard you share about your reasons why you decided to start start a crew. I mean, not start a crew, join a crew, and <laughs> to. Uh, and the reasons why you decided to stay, and of course, thank you, Henry. You know, Paul, you have anything to add to that?
1: Oh, it's great to, to have you here, Ash. Uh, I was wondering, maybe you know, you've been with the crew for a year now. Um, has there been any kind of revelations or projects or things you've know, just kind of found out yourself, even in just the year that you've been here?
2: I think the strategy workshop that you with you is good, Paul. That one, so the other workshops, you know, like email writing and um, disk energy, disk behavior tendencies, et cetera, et cetera, time management, these are practical tools that I apply almost every day at work. You deal with people, you write a lot of emails, you name it. The strategy one, not just for an organization, even though that also helped, you know, in knowing where our company is heading how to strike your arenas your differentiators how to make the best out of what you have but it also helped personally in having a strategy for your own goals your personal goals set them uh, why how and what set smart goals and uh, i think it's a lot of transferable knowledge and that really ref- got me reflecting about okay where do I want to be in five years and how the heck do I get there
1: well, that's a good a uh, good question for yourself where do you want to be in five years have you thought about that actually
2: yeah yeah I have so as I said I'm currently working on developing a new plasmas per torch mm-hmm. and what it is is in 20 years for 20 years there there has been a classic, a legacy Plasma Torch that our company has developed. They've been in service. But over the years, we've got a lot of feedback from stakeholders and, uh, you know, which include industries and research sectors on areas where you can improve this product. So that's where I was hired two years ago to really repackage this torch, which is, say, this long into something that's this long. So you can get a more compact version of the the huge thing, lighter compact and more user-friendly version, but it has the same performance. And so that really creates value because now you can suddenly start coating parts that are smaller and complex geometries and just opens applications for the industry. So this project is going to wind down this year. That was stage one of our our plan. Mm -hmm. Stage two after repackaging the torch is to work on the internal anatomy, to really work on the the parts that affect the plasma properties, plasma parameters, which eventually affect how the quality of the coating turns out. And that's another huge project coming up. So I'd say in a couple of years still, I'm gonna stay at my current company. And as I mentioned, as we grow, we will hire more people. And for that, I need to sharpen my leadership skills so I'm gonna enroll in an MBA next year. Mm,
1: That's
2: the current current plan. Yeah. Cool. So in three years, I would have had an MBA three years from now. Uh, in good shape now to to have a team, lead that team in a, in a more entrepreneurial mindset, I guess, because yeah. you really have a lot of flexibility in um, in a small company like this. Really take charge, take ownership of your product think about how you can make the company better. And that's the only difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur, is that an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur but working in, within a company uh, for another employer. So I think that's three, five years from now, uh, that, that's where I'd like to be. Currently it's just me and my supervisor, but I want
0: a few more people in my mm-hmm. team. A bigger team, yeah.
1: So, yeah. so, you know, that, that, that's really great. I think it's, it's kind of cool to be at work um, and have this kind of long-term aspiration. I feel like it's a lot easier to keep people around and stay motivated. You know, I think some jobs, you're kind of just there for the day or for very kind of short-term gains, especially, you know, in a lot of kind of customer service or business jobs. So after you did your mechanical engineering degree, how did you find this type of role? Um, Was this the ideal role that you kind of had in mind after you graduated to be on a project and develop a product? Um, So why don't you take us through kind of the career path of a a first year or not first year, but like a a new engineering grad?
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it was quite the right. So in my fourth year, which is the final year, honestly, I was a little bit anxious Because, you know, Vancouver is an expensive city, Uh, it's competitive, my field is competitive, will I find a job job that I like? One, that'd be great. Will I find a a job at all? Is another question, right? (laughs) So, yeah, there was that uh, anxiety a little bit. And um, there, you know, there, what do you call career fairs, and you go career fairs, you go uh, job postings, just look at them, apply but you know, at, the, at at some point, I was just looking for a job that that you know kind of fits my skills. Doesn't have to be perfect, but as long as I have something as a as a backup, I can still look for something that I really am passionate about. I knew one thing that had to be met was design, because that's something I really wanted to do, and I found out that through you know Supermileage, which is a student design team where I volunteered. And also through my co-op, my internships, I realized that, okay, design really this, this combination of engineering and art, kind of like the Vinci and the Renaissance, people tend to separate these two, but I really like my products to be, first of all, function. It has to function, of course, but also people are going to interact with these. So I'd like to make them more aesthetic and people take care of them better too. So. Design was one thing on my checkbox that had to be met. Um, so how did I find this current job? My final exam period, you know, I had four or five different exams. In between two, there was a maybe a couple weeks of gap. So it was strange. I had a couple first and then maybe three at the end. But there was this huge gap in the middle. So I was like, okay, just browsing through more job postings. And I came across the job at this company that I'm working at. And boy, the description, the skills they require and what they do, all of these were just, man, I'd love to apply to this job. So I spent the whole day preparing a nice portfolio, putting all my super mileage and co-op internships experience in one package and submitted that. And then just waited, finished my exams, got a call back and did our phone interview and then did an in person interview. He tested my skills and I got the job. And, and since then, you know, great people to work with, competent people. I learned a lot, challenging work, um, exciting work, and makes use of almost all the skills that I want to use. So, so yeah, that, that's the story of how I found this job.
0: Yeah. To touch on this a little bit, um, I'm in my fourth year now, and I certainly do understand that feeling of not. It's not if I can get a well-paid job or not. It's whether I get a job at all or not. Especially now, it's the pandemic and you know global and everything. Uh, it's opening up, so I hope I hope I can get some positions as well. But the thing I really want to touch on is that from from your experience, you got you got a job just right after you finished the exam. Not just right, but like really near after you just finished the exams. And I can see that that's not the case for everyone, right? So do you have any any advice for engineering grads, like people who are in their fourth year right now, pursuing engineering and worrying about, you know, same case as yours before, whether they get a job at all or not? Like, do you have any advice at all?
2: So I know there's some of my classmates, these are probably ubc you have talents okay, yeah. my class i'm not even at the top there so these guys they prefer to take a break so maybe a couple months oh. to go travel and so they're not even looking at the time because there's they're and they're confident for right reasons once they're looking they will get it and they did so these guys are just man, top notch right
0: yeah
2: and then they're uh, there are people like me who like you say, you know, there was a little bit of that. Will I get a job at all?
0: Yeah.
2: And, and I, I say to the new grads, it's okay to settle for something temporarily. So get something as a, as a backup that pays the bills. Okay. Even if it doesn't, is not your dream job in a way it's not, it's not making use of all the skills that you want to use and develop it's fine something to pay the bills is better than nothing while you still continue your pursuit for that job that you really like so i think that was my mindset going into it i would say in my case there's a there's a bit of luck you know in me finding the job right when i decided during my exam period to browse the the website and find you know, a job that really resonates with me, there's luck to that. So the people I would suggest, you know, just bear with it. There is a bit of luck and you might get unlucky, might take you several years before you find this job. Actually, one of my classmates was also in super mileage. He just got a job like a couple days ago. And I only found out because he texted me the day before saying, hey, are you still okay being my reference? I was like, because because he was in my team at Super Mileage. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I get the call that same day and talking to his his uh, potential employer. And yeah, good thing. He he got the job, but imagine that, right? 2019 until 2021, almost two years, no job. So I suggested to him before that, like, oh at least get maybe a tutoring job, something that pays the bills, so you know, just mm.
1: Yeah, Maybe join a rover crew, you know?
2: Maybe join a rover crew. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Work gosh. on yourself. Work just,
1: on yourself. Just, yeah. just, just plug it. <laughs> uh, did, yeah, did you uh, did you think about going anywhere else, like from a location point of view? I mean, you came here for school, um, and, and UBC does have a good engineering program, but was there any consideration to maybe go back to Asia or other places in North America to, to look for a job? Yes, there was. Uh,
2: Four or five years that I was at UBC, I started to like Vancouver more and more. Started building connections here. Uh, From third year onwards, I started building a really close knit of friends. So I think that and having this place, I have my own place to stay. Um, The weather, aside from raining, it's beautiful when it's sunny here. And and the temperature is not too crazy either. And Canada is a nice place, so I I really like Vancouver. But at the same time, you know, if you have to move for a job, then you have to move. And so I was looking at places like Malaysia because I also really like that that place. Uh, thinking about the states as well, uh, but yeah, ultimately, you know, didn't really think too much into it because I got this job
1: offer
2: in Vancouver. So
1: like a random question do you speak any malay like yes fluently like a first language uh, not anymore <laughs> <laughs> uh no no that's that's great to hear cuz we high key you know we spoke to Ozzy last week about being an international student and this kind of some struggles and uh, i was wondering if did you face any of those struggles coming here uh, assimilating to to Vancouver, it's, it's a pretty easy place to assimilate to. Um, I'm, I've been told, but there are some, um, sometimes, uh, issues. So did you face anything like that coming here, moving to a new country as a, as like basically a 17 year old, right?
2: I was 19 because we studied an extra. All right. Right. I was (laughs) 17 when I started school, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the culture shock question, um, not too crazy. It, It was different in general was like on the bus or something. In general, in public, I think people are more open. Uh, That's how uh, I perceived it because in countries like Brunei and Malaysia, I think you tend to be more cautious and reserved. Maybe the crime rate is higher, I don't know. But people, I think everywhere around the world, you can find people who are the same. So here at UBC, you have international students, you have local students, but people, I think that part wouldn't change no matter what country I go to. You still can bond with the people who are, you know, the right the right people for you.
0: Mm. Ash, yeah, so we hear a lot, a, a lot of, you know, your ambitions going on moving in the next five years and everything of um, your dream projects. So how, how does volunteering and the crew work into this equation? Maybe share a little bit more details about your experience in the crew in terms of what projects have you've done, right? Does it have, how helpful was it, you know, to help you achieve that um, five-year goals that you have in your career and, you know, for yourself?
2: Mm-hmm. Kind of touched back, touched on that before yeah. uh, with So in detail, if I go, then I'd say that there's a DISC workshop that I did with you, right, Nick? Yeah. Then there's the email writing workshop. Yeah. There is conflict resolution, which I attended. And all these things are practical tools that uh, help me get better in dealing with them at work. Email writing, maybe 20, 30 emails a day. Talking to people. Some people, you, you want to get straight to the point. Some people you want to have more of a chat with. Get better customer relations that way. Um, conflict resolution everywhere. With friends, with roommates, with workmates, in the crew. Mm. It's, a, it's all around you. And how does this play? And then time management, of course. That one's a big one. So how does this all play into uh, my ultimate goals, right? So my, my life goal really is to one of them one of the life goals is really to uh, be a strong link in the development of civilization. Uh, why I want (laughs) to.
0: Okay. Okay. Tell me more.
2: Yeah. Well, what my reason for, uh, why I care about developing civilization so much, I think that's, that's a longer, maybe my golf, like you say, (laughs) my story, um, and it's personal. And I think different people who want to develop civilization have different reasons for doing so. So anyway, because I want to develop civilization, I'm thinking about how the heck do I contribute to that? So innovation comes to mind. If um, without innovation at the pace that with maybe 500 years ago, we started with the first machine, maybe it was the steam engine or something. And look at us now, in just 500 years, we have accomplished so much. So this accelerated pace of development is only possible through innovation. So continual innovation, so innovating in the torch, innovating, et cetera, is one thing I really want to keep pushing and keep doing, because that is going to bring us uh, become a multiplanetary species, if you will, increases mm. our chances of survival, et cetera, et cetera. What else can I do? In the crew, now this is, this is, if you develop yourself, then that also contributes to this goal at work, where you know you become more effective, and you can maybe make a better product, get better discussions with people, and uh, just excel, you know, and if you can get that slight edge, uh, it creates an opportunity cost. And that's the biggest, the biggest deal here. So if you If you're X amount better than somebody else or faster than somebody else, then you have X amount more time that you can spend in doing something else. I can I think I'll give you an an analogy with agriculture. People have been growing crops for no matter I don't know how long, right? Thousands of years. And until, and everybody had to do it, because they had to feed themselves. But the one time you develop this machine that can help you, like a tractor or or something that can help you in this process, suddenly a huge chunk of people don't have to grow crops anymore because it's done by this machine. Now it frees up, makes an opportunity cost for those people who Mm -hmm. can build homes, build infrastructure, and that's how civilization develops. So just take that analogy and run with it create better products, create more opportunities for people. If this torch can do better things and quote better parts, it'll free up more time, resources, uh, energy okay. to do other stuff that also propagates development. So I think uh, the crew, the crew helps in self-development, the crew helps in leadership, because as I say, to make more impact, we need a team, a really mm. strong team, synergistic team. And for that it demands out of me almost. Mm.
0: What is your perspective of a good leader? What does a good leader look like to you?
2: Great question. A good leader, first and foremost, is one who is on the front lines. Works on the front lines with his team and leads by example instead of by telling them, do this, do that. You are the ones getting your hands dirty and show how it's done, lead the way, be on the front lines. That's the first point, very important. I think in a book they mentioned it, it's called the Level Five Leadership.
0: Okay, yeah.
2: Okay, look, look that one up. Uh, so that's one. And the second one is a confident leader is a good leader. Even if you're making the wrong decisions and you don't know it yet, you have to be confident. Mm. Making the right decision, making the wrong decision. You're confident in your choice, people are going to follow you. And then take it upon yourself. If it's the wrong decision, be responsible for that decision. But that confidence is what I think marks a good leader. If you're swaying, I'm not too sure, you know, here and there, hand-waving, no, people are not going to into
0: that, I think those are really fairly valid points, uh, and I, I because I first of all I don't think anyone could have at least any not and not a, not everyone I know who have such confidence in their decisions, right? Usually, usually, uh, a lot of pe- a lot of people in my network will go for, you know, that safer options of yeah let's try this maybe it works out maybe it's not right i think it can work out uh, let's see what's you know how it's going you know those kind of uh, behaviors not to say that it's all bad and everything right um i understand people just don't want to uh to stand out too much to not hurt each other to oppose really against an idea or anything just play it safe uh but I do think that confidence is something that a leader should have and that you raise a very valid point. Um, the other parts about, you know, putting your hands in the mud, get dirty and be in the front line, you know, to, to inspire and to lead, um, your people. That's a very, you know, awesome point to make as well, because a lot of people just prefer to stay behind the line and order people to do stuff. Right. And, uh, and I think that would not be as effective, as efficient, as productive, and just simply as as good, you know, as being in the front, enjoying the process, enjoying getting your hands dirty, and you know, make a role model of yourself for the people you, uh, you want to follow you.
1: I think
2: yeah, that brings yeah. brings the best out of your team too. Yeah, they see you. So I've got
1: to fall. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say that uh, I think there's a fine, and this is something in your MBA program that you will probably have a bunch of credits on. Um, sure. You, you ha- there's a fine line between like arrogance and confidence, I think. Yeah. And there's also a fine line between a vocal leader and a um, like. Does that mean they're more confident, right? And a leader who's maybe a bit more quiet and reserved, but are also confident, right? Like I think people who have done the jobs before, you know, they have more credibility and they have more confidence in the job, right? Um, but that doesn't necessarily make them the most confident at times, right? Like uh, if you're confident, but you're wrong all the time, even though you're confident all the time, like where does that arrogance line go? right, like you still have to be right, even though you're 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 confident and then you're wrong. You know, you have to have a level of humility to understand that wrong. But some leaders, right? Um, they ignore the fact that they were wrong and they don't even admit that they were wrong. Like um, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting his part right. out. <laughs> right. yeah. um, so, you know, I'll give an example. Like one of the companies I follow a lot is like AMD. They mm. make superconductor trips. And um, they've been doing a lot better lately uh, against Intel, which is their main rival. And a lot of people point to the fact that their CEO, Alisa Su, is actually an engineer. She has a PhD and a master's degree in, uh, in engineering where Intel was, was driven by a bunch of business people. And that's why lately uh, AMD has been doing better. But overall, Intel has been doing a very good job uh, and they still power most of the world's computers. Lisa is a frontline person, right? She developed and creates you know semiconductor chips but the CEO Intel at the time, I think they're the new one now, maybe didn't have the same frontline experience. So how, you know, that's a debate there, right? Like whether or not you need to be a frontline as, as Nick mentioned, I, I think I can see a lot of validity in that, um, that you need to know the job. But at the same time, um, you know, as Ash mentioned earlier, off, off air now, you know, sometimes like you got to surround yourself with just people that know more than you do, right? Right. So if you're leading a group of people of engineers, I'm not an engineer, but if I was to lead a leader group of engineers, I would establish a different leadership style than say if I was managing a group doing something that I was more familiar with, right? So, you know, yeah, confidence I, doesn't I, just mean competence, I guess at times, right, you know?
2: Yes, I, I should add a third point to that then. So mention, Front lines, level five leadership, mentioned confidence. But third one, really important too, you have a team. Have like listen, listen to your team. And that means um, instead of shutting them down, have that open discussion, promote discussion within the team, get input from the experts in the team because they're people who know more than you, and then use their input to make your decision. I think that is what a good leader does too. Instead of just saying, this is why I think this is my ego, I'm gonna say this, you're wrong, I'm right. Get input from your team, listen to them. Yeah.
0: Well, anyway, uh, you know, wrapping up, we have heard a lot of fantastic ideas and conversations about leadership, your major your ambitions, your volunteer experience and everything, uh, Ash, so, I know, that, I know that you have some certain plans for your uh, five-year future self, but what are some questions that you have for your future self that you want that person to be able to answer? Me asking my future
2: self something?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Let's say you were able to, let's say your future self came out of a wormhole. Yeah, like, oh, hello,
0: I'm future Ash. <laughs> I can answer one of your questions.
1: So I
2: personally uh, don't want my future self to spoon feed me where I should go.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, think, I think where I am currently, too, is a result of the good or bad decisions that my past self has made and what he has succeeded in and what he has failed in. That all boils up to the person I am right now, and that will continue uh, to, for me to become that future self. And I want to, I don't want anyone telling me that, um, I'll of course, take advice, but um, I want to, you know, experiment myself and really find out and know, know, know it that, okay, this is not what I should do. This is where I should focus on. So yes, definitely um, that independence. But at the same time, like you say, it's got a, like a little bit of um, guidance would be nice, like you only have a limited time on the world in the world yep. so if 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 your future self can save you a few years by just giving you a slight nudge in the right direction okay like, hey, your your hedgehog concept if you will is uh, is this so uh, think about that that and that and maybe that'll lead you to your hedgehog concept uh, your calling relates to you know this this and this so maybe uh, think about those in your free time uh, so instead of these 10 things that I can think about to find my calling, now I have three things to think about. That sort of guidance that, that
1: helped me. That hedgehog that. is also in good to great for those who are listening. Um, so <laughs> Level 5 Leadership Hedgehog Theory, it's in the same book.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that is it. Thank you so much for being here today, Ash. Uh, thank you for taking your time and thank you for sharing your wonderful ideas.
1: Thanks buddy for having me guys. Okay. Mic
0: off. Mic off.